Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery and we're in the middle of the general election special series of podcasts. And today joining me are three columnists, Matthew Paris, Jenny Russell and Hugo Rifkind. Between now and polling day, we're in for some seriously sustained cross-dressing. Labour and the Conservatives will be straining every sinew to show they're the opposite of what everyone thought they were. This is entirely rational behaviour, weird as it may sound. Everyone knows Labour has a heart and everyone knows the Tories have a head. Everyone is worried Labour has no head and the Tories have no heart. Each will be striving to persuade us that they do have the thing we were worried that maybe they didn't. <laughs> and following on from that, nothing in this campaign so far has turned out as most commentators, including me, betting firms and Conservative political strategists expected. The Tories bet their entire election gamble on the assumption that Labour had two big weaknesses, the economy and Ed Miliband. Exploit those and enough undecided voters would turn Tory to ensure that Cameron stayed in number 10. Instead, Miliband's ratings are climbing. The polls are still tied. The Tories have reminded everyone that they can be the nasty party. And this week, Labour put fiscal rectitude at the heart of their campaign. The Tories aren't quite yet panicking, but they're on the edge of it. They've got less than a month to improve their image and turn their chances round. We're heading for a hung parliament. With a tight election, it looks like it might be, excuse me, even more well hung than last time. <laughs> And so, everybody is talking about what coalition could form, or what minority government could arise, with the expectation that such a government would last until the next general election. What everybody has forgotten, though, is the Fixed-Term Parliament Act. In fact, we could have several governments before the next election, without recourse to the electorate at all. This would be the Lib Dems' legacy, and it's time we woke up and thought about it. Hugo, your topic sounded so exciting with the early talk and ended up with a delving into the fixed-term parliament act. But we will come, we will come whatever, back to whatever, that. Whatever turns you on, Tim. <laughs> whatever, we'll come back to that uh, a little bit later. Matthew Paris, can we start with you? Now, the, many of our listeners, perhaps most of our listeners, will have an advantage over us because we're recording before David Cameron has got up to launch his uh, Tory manifesto. But we, we have a fair idea of its content, as we know what's in the Labour manifesto. And you think both parties parties are playing almost to their weaknesses, trying yeah. to address their weaknesses rather than playing to their strengths. Is it, that wise? Yeah, it's simple marketing. You, you, you have to look at where people are unsure about you and you have to try to, to reassure them in, in those areas. I think perhaps the 
the early strategy was the opposite marketing strategy, which is stick to your strengths and hope nobody mentions the weaknesses. It's become quite plain that whether or not Labour talk about the, the deficit, people will be worried that the Labour Party might spend too much and tax too much. And whether or not the Tories talk about the NHS, people will be worried whether they really have the NHS to heart. So because we are neck and neck, both parties, and, and, and because I think both parties are desperately trying to get out of this deadlock, they are now addressing their weaknesses. So we can expect the Tory manifesto to trip fairly lightly over the fiscal prudent stuff. There'll, there'll be a lot of that. But what, what they'll really be wanting to be reported and to go home is all the nice things they're going to do. Like on the right to buy and the minimum taking people who earn the minimum wage out of tax. And, and £8 billion for the NHS, NHS every year and all that. Yeah. And, and do you think this is a change of strategy? Because I was certainly thinking that they, the Linton Crosby, the Australian campaign strategist, his view was that you do play to your strengths. You think about what you want voters to be thinking about when they go into the polling booth, and that was the welfare changes, the deficit. It was David Cameron's qualities as a leader versus Ed Miliband. Do you think that, that what we are seeing is a change? That yes. Someone is wrestling strategy back from no, I, him? Th th there's definitely a strange uh, change. I don't think anyone's wrestling it back. I would have thought that Mr Crosby himself has come to the conclusion that just playing on Ed versus Dave, competence versus chaos, yeah. has not yet delivered mm. the lead that they thought it would. If it had, they'd have stuck to it, but it hasn't. And so I, mm. I would have thought Linton Crosby himself is ringing the changes. Well, Jenny, you've raised the issue of Ed Miliband for our second topic, so I don't want to get too much into that too quickly. The, the basic point that Matthew raises, that the Tories have decided that they have to address the National Health Service, that Labour has to address the deficit. Are both parties wise to do this? Isn't this something you deal with over years, not in the heat of an election campaign? In the heat of an election campaign, you're just about getting your vote out and ramming home your traditional messages. You can't suddenly persuade Labour doubters that Conservatives have a heart and um, Tory doubters that Labour can be trusted with the economy. Well, I do think that's a problem and certainly as far as um, Labour was concerned, I was writing columns four years ago pleading with them to make clear that they thought that there were problems with the way they'd handled the economy before and that they would be keen on making cuts and having some kind of you know, fiscal rectitude themselves. And they didn't. And I do worry that three weeks before an election is not the time to change your image. Better uh, late Linton than never. Crosby, one of Linton Crosby's memorable sort of catchphrases, you can't f fatten a pig on market day. And here he is frantically trying to pour <laughs> the stuff down its throat this morning. <laughs> yeah. um, no, it really puzzles me that both parties have been so oblivious to the things that the electorate thinks about them. Mm. And I don't know why they thought it didn't matter. It just mm. makes such complete sense mm. to... if. if to, to try and broaden your appeal as much as possible. And it's not as if um, the parties being on a third of the vote each is a surprise. I mean, the Tories haven't been slipped down from 36 to 33 near the start of this parliament and have remained there the, all, the whole way through. I don't know why they suddenly thought the electorate w would wake up and think, God, you're a marvellous party. And the same thing goes for the Labour Party. I mean, they had a protest vote, if you like, or protest poll early in the election. And they didn't capitalise on that at all the times when people were thinking, actually, we hate austerity, the Tories look like a nightmare. Labour didn't t use that um, advantage in the polls and the moment when there wasn't much else being said to change who they were. So, yes, they're frantically falling over themselves now. But the other 
point that I really wanted to make about changing your image was that um, I wrote a column three or four weeks ago about going to a help to buy reception at Downing Street mm-hmm. and discovering that the people who were there who had all benefited from help to buy from this Tory policy, six out of seven of the couples I talked to had no idea it was a Conservative initiative. Even though they, they were a reception Even though they were a reception with David Cameron at Downing Street, they thought the government had given it to them. Mm. And so the idea that people are suddenly going to take in all these policies and think, God, that's fantastic, that's a Tory policy, let me run into the polling booth and tick the right box. Not sure it happens that way. People aren't listening. It's enough for any campaign manager to give up, I think, and go home if you (laughs) hear that sort of story. You don't don't expect everyone to. If two in a hundred are affected by what they hear, then you're two points up in the polls. Mm -hmm. Yes, if they hear it and understand it, and they're the ones who benefit from it. Hugo, are you impressed with the Tories' pledges on the NHS and Labour's pledges on the deficit? In our our editorial conference yesterday, somebody looking at the uh, the Labour manifesto made the analogy of, I forget which airline it was, but a famous American airline which had a terrible reputation for punctuality was the least punctual airline. American. And, and so ran, ran, a, ran a whole ad campaign for years, which was uh, such and such airline, the airline that cares about punctuality. And you <laughs> yeah. basically you take your bit, your major yeah. weakness and you just you just lie. You just pretend it's your strength. Mm. And um, the thing, I mean, I think I don't know, I think the electorate can, can sort of smell bullshit or sense bullshit. Mm-hmm. And um, my problem with what both the parties did, look, I wanted the Tories to be much, much nicer. I wanted Labour to be much, much more solid. But my problem at the moment is that they're just sort of slightly lying you know you've got the tories with their with their with their 8 billion unfunded and everyone knows it's not unfunded there's that magic money tree well, that's fine but apparently all the money every, i don't know what ev- you're talking about hugo everyone everyone knows how they're going to fund it they're mm. going to fund it by doing cuts that they don't want to admit to at the moment in the same way you know labor labor um everybody uh, everybody knows that they're going to spend more than they say they are they've got a huge amount of freedom embedded in and I mean, I think, you know, Ed Miliband could be saying we want to invest more in infrastructure projects. Yeah. We believe we can grow the economy through investment with with a goddamn Labour Party. That's what we're for. <laughs> um, but he's just not quite saying it. And um, and I, I, like I said... You think I'm, there's a market, could be a market for a party that says we are going to borrow a bit more. Interest rates are historically low rates. We can afford to invest in housing and infrastructure. Of course. And sh- just be sh- honest about sh- it. Surely there is. I mean, and, and yeah. then you start having an honest political argument about whether that is or isn't a good idea, rather than yeah. pretending that you're just not going to do it. So, I mean, I understand the, the, the logic of trying to counter your weaknesses, but it'd be nice if they just say, this is what we'll do, do you want to vote for us or not? Jenny, why isn't the party you support being honest about its ambitions for borrowing? To be fair to them, I think actually they are. I think what, what, what's interesting about what they, they're setting out now is that they're saying all their current spending isn't going to increase the deficit, and they're introducing this idea that there'll be a triple lock and that the Office for Budget Responsibility See, I, I, I will look at every locked. policy. What's locking what? I, I, I spent a long time trying to figure out what the triple lock was, and I asked people, and no one could quite tell me. It so sounds, maybe you can. It, it, sa- it sounds fantastic. I can't tell you in detail, except that um, all their policies are going to be based on the idea that they're going to stick to the Conservative spending limits, I think, on current spending. For a couple, so, for a couple, but for a couple Cameron will do that too. <laughs> sure. No, but what, what's, what's different is that you'd never have expected Labour to yeah. do that. Although, to be fair to Labour, they did the same thing. They stuck to the Tory spending plans when they came in in 97 and afterwards bitterly regretted it because they yeah. thought they'd spent a couple of years not uh, rebuilding the country and they should have done. catching up then with the biggest increase in spending no, in the OECD. No, of course they did, but, yeah. but, but that was because the economy was booming. But, but, but they did say that they would 
borrow in order to spend on capital projects. That's what they said very clearly in their manifesto yesterday. I have to say that message got completely muddled when Chukka Muna went out on the airways. I was talking on World at One yesterday. He was on, on just on before Monday, me. just for those who aren't listening I'm to sorry, us on, on Tuesday. Um, he was denying that they would um, spend, that mm. they would borrow in order to spend on capital projects. And yet that is the Labour philosophy, yes, that, that, it's, that it's, it's good to I invest. Think the phrase but they, they haven't got the courage of their convictions. The phrasing, phrase they're using is, is borrow for investment. Not, not for capital projects, and you can define investment in any way you like. Investment in the health service, investment in bereavement, counselling, it's all investment. I, I'm, I'm really suspicious of this. You think we're going to slip between capital spending and general investment? Doesn't the Office of Budget Responsibility protect us a little bit from that? Possibly, Ma- yes. uh, Matthew, that George Osborne said that partly to ensure that politicians weren't deciding how deficits were measured and forecasts were made and categories were... Hugo. It, it's not like they've got this, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll borrow to invest. It's not like it's a sort of, it's a headline or a chapter heading or a paragraph heading. It's like a sort of, it's the last, it's the, the, it's the last line of paragraph mm. 19. I mean, mm. it's, um, you know, they, they really don't want to sort of... Perhaps this goes back to what Matthew's saying. We all expect Labour to borrow more. We all expect the Tories to yeah. do the what they do. And they're all the parties just emphasising the things that perhaps surprise people about them a little bit. I don't know. Matthew, just before we move on to Jenny's subject, how worried are you at this £8 billion NHS spending pledge and the £7.5 billion unfunded tax cuts? We had a long period when George Osborne and David Cameron and fought... Memories and fought the right and said we mustn't make unfunded pledges. Now, they have credibility now that they didn't have five or ten years ago. They've, they have cut the deficit to a large extent. But they're taking a bit of a risk with their reputation for fiscal solidity, aren't they? I don't think so. I wouldn't ever be worried that any government will spend less on the NHS than it uh, promised to do because the NHS just keeps sucking in more and more money and they'd probably have had to spend £8 billion a year more on it than, um, than, than, than they were, whether or not they'd made the promise. So, no, I, th- I think they'll probably do it. I'm a little doubtful about the phrase unfunded. When you say something's unfunded, what, what you mean is you, you haven't yet decided where the money is going to come from. It, it, it doesn't mean that there isn't any money or that you're going to have to borrow it. And in a sense, all of us in, in the conduct of our own financial affairs uh, make all kinds of unfunded commitments, meaning I that we say what we're going to do and then we think how we're going to get the money for it. I wouldn't like the country if we run on the same basis that I run my shopping trips. <laughs> 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 I'd like a little more foresight from those very expensively paid economists it and great. We can, politicians. We can just get a cardo to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to do a future podcast when we go with Jenny shopping. That's, that's a, a lot of fun. But Jenny, take us into your topic that you've given us and um, the Tories have underestimated Estimated Ed Miliband? Yeah, they certainly have, and they've and they've underestimated um, Labour's ability to come back and combat criticisms generally. I was talking to a senior Tory before Christmas who was assuring me with great satisfaction that the polls were going to start climbing for the Tories slightly in January and then decisively come about March. And certainly the Tories were expecting to be a couple of points, three points steadily ahead by now yeah. and to be able to say to the country, look, if you don't want chaos, you better vote for us because you don't want, um, as Hugo is predicting, um, another crazy hung parliament. So... I think partly because the Tories and the Conservative press um, generally have portrayed Ed Miliband as such a complete nincompoop that the fact that he's come out, A, looking like a normal human being, and secondly, I have to say, completely revved up by this entire challenge. I I think it's a revelation on text. It isn't just the Tories. 
and, and the Conservative-inclined press, large elements of the Labour Party have been describing Ed Miliband as a complete nincompoop yes. for <laughs> quite some time. I, no, I, I quite agree. I, and I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I have for years now been writing don't in our newspaper him. that we shouldn't underestimate Ed Miliband. And it was, I think it was a great, dangerous mistake of the Conservative Party's party to rest so much of their message on the ludicrousness of Ed Miliband. He he may not be first-rate, but he's perfectly reasonable second-rate. He's not ludicrous, and it's just mm. silly to say that he is. Can I, and, can I, can I play devil's advocate mm. a, a little bit? Because I saw him at Monday's Labour manifesto launch, and there he was, not just taking questions, but asking for extra questions. Mm. You know, he looked like he was a man on top of his game, and he looked like he was enjoying himself. And so certainly, yeah, the, certainly the caricature of him is, yeah. has been unfair, and his ratings have improved a little bit. But it's still, if you look at the numbers, who do you prefer as Prime Minister? David Cameron has a very large lead. But, He's but, but, improved but, from a low base, but yeah. so long as their leadership question is still there, but, it suits the Conservatives reasonably well. But that's because he is Prime Minister, and you always look like you can be Prime Minister when you are Prime Minister. Actually, there's plenty times when presidential polls prime minister polls the uh, the opposition leader has looked cre as credible certainly cameron was as credible as gordon brown i draw a different conclusion tim I, I would say that so long as you know that in the minds of the public there is a question about ed miliband's leadership potential it's probably not a good idea to rub it in Mm -hmm. Because all you do then is make yourself look unpleasant and personal and excite a little bit of sympathy and interest in the person that you're attacking. As Which happened we... with Michael Fallon's yes, attack precisely last week. So. Yes. Which was so unpleasant and Tim was one of the first people to tweet yes, protesting about it and made a huge well difference. Well done, Tim. Yes, absolutely. And I think it was counterproductive because nobody actually thought that about Ed Miliband, that he stabbed his brother in the back. He was part of um, a perfectly honest, decent, democratic election. And the wave of sympathy for Ed Miliband, and also his graciousness mm. in response, yes. was really telling. The Tories gave away one of their great advantages, which is to be the party that's thought to have manners. And yes. I thought that Cameron gave away his advantage yes. as being um, a decent man who's rather above the fray and refusing to condemn it. But I think Tim is quite right to say that something has happened to Ed, and he's, he's like um, a tiger that's been in the cage asleep and suddenly come out actually eager to attack this and his energy is in sharp contrast to david cameron's who's been looking rather i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. 
Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. So you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com code SUMMER language throughout this election campaign and I I can see that it's quite hard to shift from the prime ministerial mode in which you are um, you're in a prime ministerial bubble and everyone around you is trying to make sure that your life works comfortably and you're being gracious and at ease and suddenly you've got to come out and be a bit of a street fighter Mm. in an election campaign and I think we're going to see this week whether David Cameron is capable of remembering that actually he's a contender and not just the man at the top. Hugo Rivkind I think we shouldn't get carried away. I think of course Ed Miliband looks happy during an election campaign. He's Ed Miliband. He was born for election campaigns. (laughs) He is at his most happy in an election campaign. Obviously it's what he lives for but we shouldn't imagine that Labour's problem all along the last five years has actually been Ed Miliband. Labour's problem has been Labour. And the re- and a lot of the reason why Ed Miliband has looked so weak and wobbly is the fault of those people around him. You know, you never really get any sense that you've got uh, even a significant proportion of the shadow cabinet who are saying, yeah, that's our guy, we're behind him every step of the way. No, you know, they've, right. been, they've been sort of edging away and keeping their distance. And so however however happy Ed looks at the moment, until you really have this sort of, you know, chorus of people carrying around on his shoulders until you can see Ed Balls talking about anything that Labour's doing without slightly sounding like he's taking the piss out of Ed Miliband which mm-hmm. you can't yet. That's the second um, naughty word you've used in this I'm um, really sorry. podcast. <laughs> I'm going to have to issue um, a formal warning Taking, the, taking the Michael <laughs> out of, out of, um, out of Ed Miliband or until, until you can have you know, sort of, sort of looking like he's not planning his, his next job or, or whatever, um, then, um, then I mean he's going to continue looking sort of wobbly however, however much more confident and comfortable he is. The polls still stubbornly aren't giving Labour a loss. And of course we know that if the polls are tied, Labour of the party are going to form the government. I mean, Labour don't need no, to be doing any better. No, not if the polls better. are tied. If the general election is tied, the polls may not be the same as the general election. Except that on all current predictions, just because Labour could be the second largest party, but the SNP will be the third largest party. Mm. So Labour and the SNP then become, mm. it appears, the I, only I party that can form the government. Yeah. I'm not saying that Labour will necessarily win the most seats, but if the polls are tied, they'll probably be the party that forms the government. I mean, not that any of this is certain. I, don't, I think none of us still have any idea what's going to happen in the election, but what's interesting is that so far it has not played out as any strategists expected. And I think it's very puzzling that last week the Tories let themselves fall into the trap of having all their worst qualities reinforced. It wasn't mm. just being the nasty I party. Can't understand. It was You've had the inheritance tax, you've had the NHS pledges, you've had right to buy. Some of them I have mixed views on, but they've they've had a better few days, the Conservatives. They've sort of got back onto the front foot. It'll be interesting to see where the opinion polls are after these policies have sort of been absorbed a little bit by the public. I mean, I'm, I'm with I'm with Matthew. I, I actually don't trust the polls at all. I think the I think the polls a lot of the time are people saying what they they feel they ought to be saying, and I think the Tories will do far better than the polls say they will. Whatever the whatever the polls the polls are saying before the election. You think it's consistently secret Tories in every single poll. I don't think it's quite so much secret Tories. I think it's um I think it's people who'd really really would like to vote Labour, but are just going to think actually no. I think that's dangerous thinking, Hugo. And um, if you talk to, for example, Stephen Shakespeare at YouGov, they've now done 120,000 interviews since the, the start yeah. of the year. And what they cannot find, almost nobody, is find 
someone who didn't vote Conservative in 2010 who is mm. going to vote Conservative this time. Really? Plenty of people. No shifters. Hardly any. Whereas there are quite a number of people, former Liberal Democrats, former Green, people who are going to vote Labour. Labour's vote will be higher this time. Right. And almost certainly the Conservative vote will be lower. And that does take us into territory, which I think is quite... I- difficult. It still could be the Conservatives, you know, the Conservatives Liberal Democrats have a solid majority in the Commons in this Parliament. They may still have a majority, but the Conservatives aren't winning new voters I and just, that's, that's the worry, which is why I think Matthew worrying about the Conservatives not having a heart and them trying to address that is exactly what they, I think they probably do need to do. I just always go back to the, uh, you know, my experiences in Scotland during the referendum, the, the invisibility of no campaigners. You know, mm. how I spent I spent the best part of a month and a half walking the streets looking for them and there mm. just weren't any. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly they turned out to be 55% of the population. Yeah. You know, I think I think almost we have a tendency to sort of want to sort of say people are conservatives, that's what they yeah. are. And that's not necessarily what people want to call themselves. Yeah. But, but they might come out and vote like that. But before we move on to the your exciting topic of the Fixed Term <laughs> Parliament Act, Hugo, which we've all been looking forward to, I just want to raise with Matthew the point that Jenny raised a little bit earlier about Cameron wanting that, like he looks enthusiastic and hungry and how much you think that matters, Matthew, and, and whether it's a fair concern. I don't entirely agree. I, I, I agree languid is not good. Too relaxed is not good. But a certain amount of calm and a certain amount of seeming to be above the storm I think suits David Cameron's image well, and and I, I wish he would not miss opportunities to do that. Mm. He he could have done it in the Michael Fallon case. He, of course, he didn't. He, he couldn't have said and wouldn't have said I disagree with Michael Fallon. He would so just have said we all express I'm ourselves. Sure number ten were at least would have seen that article well, before it was published and perhaps instigated it. I I I, I do wonder mm. whether David Cameron's loyalty to Michael Fallon in this case is not partly born of the fact that he, he is complicit in what Michael mm-hmm. Fallon said, but I, I don't know. So, no, I don't want to see the Prime Minister as a street fighter, and I don't think David Cameron's any good as a street fighter. He, he, he looks a bit nasty when he goes pink and starts shouting. Yes, I, he's I, always I, pink. I, I, th- I, don't, I don't think I meant he should actually go out and be pugilistic, because that wouldn't be playing to his strengths, but he has looked so far rather too detached, I think, as if, as if um, yeah, he doesn't think that there's the, a struggle in, going in, on. In America, the way the candidates prove that they're hungry is they do 6am rallies and 10pm rallies. They, they want to look to voters like they want to be re-elected. You don't rest on your laurels, you offer them new things, you never take the electorate for granted. I think we just need a little bit of that from the I'm not from sure the that Tories. would go down very well in yeah. Britain. It looked like trying too damn hard. <laughs> I know I'm not turn up at 6am. Perhaps not Sheffield rallies, that would be going a bit too far. Hugo, let's uh, move on to your topic, which is very important. Well, sit up and pay attention, because this really, really matters. OK, look. So, uh, the, th- the thing is, we're, we're living in the past, OK? We, we expect we're heading for a hung, a hung parliament, and we expect that what will happen is a co- afterwards a coalition will form, or there'll be a minority, a minority government which will do the best it can, and when it, and when it fails, or if a coalition collapses, we expect, we keep talking as though there will be an election, We've throughout this the last throughout the last parliament, whenever the government has looked or the coalition has looked vaguely wobbly, people have still said, "Will the coalition collapse? Will there be an election?" We're forgetting that the one bit of constitutional reform that the Lib Dems have managed to push through is that there doesn't need to be an election when the government falls. If the government falls, they have fourteen days. Well, the parliament has fourteen days to produce another government. Mm. So that if you have if you're in a sort of three three or more party system, if another party can build a coalition. 
then then there can be a new government can arise. You can move from a Tory Lib Dem coalition to a Labour Lib Dem coalition or a Labour SNP coalition or whatever without going to the electorate. And now people tend to say, well, this would never happen because no one would countenance a government forming without going to the electorate. But I just don't think that's right. I think if you have if you have British politics being that wobbly, if you have sterling plunging and the markets being all jittery, if someone arises and says, we can form a government, there doesn't need to be an election, we can provide stability and certainty. I think that's what will happen, and yeah, I that's, think that's and fine, Hugo. Um, if, if if that's what happens, that that's fine. If, a, if a, another constellation of parties can form a, a government that looks credible, then I think the Parliament Act is is working. But but what it, if it appears that no one is capable of forming a credible coalition? In that case, I just think there will be another election. There'll only be an, there'll only be another election if two thirds of MPs um, yeah. wish there to be. I mean, if you know, if, if if nobody can muster a majority and stand up there and say, "Okay, I'll be prime minister," yet mm. uh, I'll, I'll be prime minister now. And um, there's a slightly easier way of doing it than two thirds, isn't it? I haven't got the detailed legislation in front of me, I'm afraid. But if the government is no confidence by a simple majority, if, and then there's a 14 day period when someone can't form another government, exactly, then you have an election. So you yes. don't you don't necessarily need two thirds of people to vote for well, yes, um, but, but over, dissolution. But you've got to imagine what life would be like over those 14 days. 14 days without a government, with everyone saying, imagine the turmoil Britain, be, Britain will be in if we have to go through yet another election. Mm. Um, it surely wouldn't be hard for, for people to patch themselves together into some sort of Well, that's the intention of form. the, par- the mm. Parliament Act, isn't it? Uh, but it the, but, exactly, yes. it's, but mm. it's a dramatic thing to say we can have cha- not, just, not just changes of Prime Minister, but changes of, changes of a whole government without, without, without an election. Um, you, I think Hugo's quite right to say that the population has no idea that this possibility is looming. <laughs> but I must say, I think it's rather interesting. Mm. I think it's going to make mm. people um, think in all kinds of uh, fresh ways about how to do politics. Also, I have enormous confidence in Sir Jeremy Hayward, the power behind the throne in Downing Street, the senior civil servant, being able to run the country perfectly competently while um, the parties argue for 14 days. I'm just being devil's advocate here, Hugo. When, when, the, when the public hate it, I think the idea... I, I, I know technically it's true that they would have elected this constellation of... Uh, maybe it doesn't matter, <laughs> yeah. but I'm asking a different question. Um, is that, that if they elect a parliament which puts David Cameron in and then two years later Ed Miliband's in... Mm-hmm. Or six months. Well, or six <laughs> months. They will, they, 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 I think that will cause a lot of public it, angst. It, it depends on, on what basis it happens. And you've got to think about the power it gives to a third party. In a situation where a third party is the party that makes the majority, yeah. where, either party, where either one of the two main parties could have a majority with the support of the third party, the third party can bring down a government and form another one like that. Yeah. You know, they can... Um, they can, you, they can leave one camp and join another camp and and, and that's that if yeah. there's a general will very dangerous thing for that party to to do though um well, if you it could be the dup for instance and then it wouldn't really matter no well, that's true i if mean there's there's a general northern will, ireland would blame you no as long as you've got more money the, for northern ireland yeah. if yeah. everyone yeah. wants yeah. a general election there'll be a general election if uh, whatever party is trying to patch together whatever new coalition uh, they, they 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 think they can attempt and they get the impression that the public really hate this and the markets really mm. hate this, they won't do it. Uh, mm. they'll, they'll, they'll form that two-thirds that you need yeah. and there'll be a general election. Because the image it's damage will be, be so great. Mm. But, it, but, isn't it, but isn't it fascinating that we've, without noticing it, become one of these countries where that can happen? Yes. You, the, yes, the, 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 the quiet coalition building you get going on in places like Israel and Italy where between elect, you know, you will a government form... Um, and we never considered ourselves to be that sort of country, and all of a sudden we sort of are. You've performed a great public service, Hugo, and bringing it to our attention. Just before we, we go, can I ask you guys whether you were enjoying this election? Has it sort of 
taken. I'm loving it. I love elections, but uh, as Hugo says, that's because of the kind of beast that I I am. Uh, just <laughs> you as you you perhaps that. you enjoy football, don't you, Tim? Well, I haven't uh, this weekend <laughs> yes. with the Manchester derby. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine how anybody could enjoy mm. that, and I suppose a lot of people can't imagine how I could enjoy elections. But I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything in particular that in this elections making you enjoy it that well, extra bit? Well, I'm I'm actually got involved in a marginal Conservative constituency, North East Derbyshire. They got a very good candidate called Lee Rowley, and I've been putting up huge pictures of him, huge posters of him in farmers' fields, which have promptly blown down this weekend in the wind. So I'm on a kind of repair exercise now, but that's fun. Are you meeting voters voters as well, or are you just putting up pictures? No, no, I I deliver leaflets, I talk to people. I was um, asking people if we could put up posters in their gardens the other day, and we got two UKIP households who wanted Conservative Mm. posters, and they're still UKIP because they want the Conservatives to win this election because they want a referendum on Europe. Mm. It's as simple as that. I think it's one of the stories of the campaign is the deflation of the UK. Yeah. Right, actually, I'm yeah. not sure it's deflating fast enough for the Conservatives, but there's definitely um, subsidence in, under Mr Farage. Jenny, are you, are you enjoying the campaign? I'm finding it absolutely fascinating. I'm not quite sure whether I'm actually enjoying it. Um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's so intriguing to watch parties suddenly, frantically, like stallholders saying, well, if you didn't want that, I've got this one behind you, and I've got it in red and pink and blue, and oh, look, some nice shoes to go with it, um, <laughs> because that you didn't like the overcoat you were walking away with before. But I'm finding it a bit um, disconcerting. Disconcerting? Oh. Well, I suppose I th- I, I, I've been disconcerted by the nastiness, to be perfectly frank. I'd, I'd, I'd rather that politics was conducted in a more civilised fashion. Mm-hmm. I can't bear it when people that I um, admire in some ways um, turn out to be behaving unpleasantly. And so far, I'd have to say that applies to quite a lot of Conservatives. Mm. And I regret that because I think it's very bad for politics as a whole and it's bad for the disillusionment that ordinary people feel about it. When they when they hear people trading insults, I don't think it does. I'm the afraid. I think, I think the public probably expects it. I don't think many people are surprised. But mm, yeah. I don't mean what, 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 that. Mm. Don't think you have to build on that. I, th- I, I I'm, I'm perfectly up for frank and and sustained and critical argument about one another's policies. Well, I feel it when I hear. Labour spokesman Ed Balls and others saying that the Tories will destroy the National Health well, Service. Well, I quite so agree. Just the same. I, 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 I agree but with you completely. This hyperbole is, is ludicrous. Hold on, you're, you're, you're both experienced political commentators. You can't just suddenly be noticing that politics is a bit <laughs> nasty. <laughs> Where have you been? No, no, it's not that I'm suddenly <laughs> noticing, but, but when Tim says, am I enjoying it, that's <laughs> the right. bit that I'm not right. enjoying it. But, 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 but it's but always been like this. I mean, hmm. there's never been this nice, civilised era. They've always been vile <laughs> no, to no, each no, other. I'm not saying it's a change, but when you when you say, what do I not like about it, that's... Yeah. That, that's what I don't like. At least they're not bribing us with ale and whiskey and beer and all the rest of it. <laughs> they used to, or sausage rolls. I might be bribed by a sausage roll at the moment. But Hugo, I think, can I just say one thing? Oh, I, think, yeah. I think the thing that we tend to forget about this is how high the stakes are for these parties. We kind of sit there and think, oh, well, the Labour and the Tories are trading us. But actually, if you think about being the Tories in Downing Street now and thinking... Jesus, if we don't get the right offer out from under the table. You can come back, Matthew, but I'm not sure about the other but two. I want to Hugo to say whether he's enjoying the campaign. I don't quite feel like it's really started yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the polls haven't budged. Nobody's announced anything new that we didn't know they were going to announce anyway. Right, bye. Well, they've sort of been trailed been for trailed ages. For months, yeah. 
I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I'm sort of waiting. I'm sort of slightly waiting for something to something to happen. You know, mm. something to something a to nice really scandal. punch. You know, I mean, I just the, the polls to go one way or the other, or to just you know, I mean, because I sort of feel at the moment that the, we're going to go all the way to the wire with the polls not really budging, and then the results going to sort of leave us in pretty much the same situation that we're in now anyway mm. and we'll just think well that was that was a load of noise about nothing wasn't it mm. and if people want fun this election they should tune into radio for absolutely 11 a.m on saturday Tell 11 a.m on a saturday morning that. campaign sidebar uh which in, in which uh it's very hard to describe which made the trail quite hard to do but it's um <laughs> uh basically we're looking at all the sort of side issues in politics so last week we had a um we had someone from YouGov on which came to it came and explained to us how much more likely somebody was to vote ukip if they were called nigel which i think was <laughs> our, our, pretty much our perfect story and did tim's vote tory and tim's vote lib dem really yes oh, overwhelmingly gosh. so tim yeah <laughs> yeah tim's vote tim's, tim's vote lib dem as most intriguingly do samanthas ah. yeah. so do we have a secret Lib Dem inside number 10 Downing Street, huh? Uh, At least one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hugo, Jenny, Matthew, thank you very much. Thank you to Dave McGuire, my producer, for putting this together. We will be back, of course, on Friday with our second podcast of the week when we'll be reviewing the political week. Do join us again then. And do go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central for some links to background reading to the issues we've been discussing. Until Friday, goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.